for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 151 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week is the return of Michael Allen Nelson, who talks about the two books that he's working on that are really great, Hexed and Damon, both from Boom Studios. We talk about how the books came to be and about the characters in each book, and we also get into a discussion in which I'm passionate about, and he is as well, and that's having to do with women characters in comics. He has a lot to say about that and other subjects as well, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy listening. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the podcast. Michael Allen Nelson, writer of such wonderful things as 28 Days Later, Dingo, and Hexed, <laughs> and involved with Damon, too. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing better, doing better. I had a cold for a little while, but now I'm feeling better, so that's good. Why don't we jump right into Hexed and talk about that? Because on the website where I do my reviews, I can never sign up fast enough to get to be able to review Hexed. <laughs> Other people jump in and take on it first, so it's obviously doing well at our site, and apparently doing well for Boom, too. Yes, yes, yes. We are very, very happy with it. Oh, good. Now, why don't you tell people a little of the history of Hexed, because this isn't the first time you've written Hexed. No, it's not. No, it's interesting. It's, it's funny how Hexed actually came about. Mm-hmm. I had written a series, Fall of Cthulhu, many years ago, and what happened is I created the character of Lucifer for that series and also the harlot as well. The harlot is a big, a big part of, of Hexed as well. And I created those characters in fall of Cthulhu. But what happened was as we were wrapping up fall of Cthulhu, we realized that these characters that I created were just really, they were a lot of fun. And we thought it might be a good idea to sort of like take those characters out of that darker Lovecraftian universe and actually put them in a universe of my own. And that was something that I'm very happy that uh, Matt Gagnon, who's now the editor in chief of Boom Studios, he was my editor on the original miniseries, Hex miniseries. He was the one that really liked that idea. So that's basically how it started. And what was great about that was that it allowed me to really sort of like create my own sandbox. Because something like Fall of Cthulhu, you're sort of like playing in that Lovecraftian universe. You're dealing with that sort of mythos that somebody else created and that other writers contributed to. And it's Mm -hmm. fun to do that, but creatively, I had these brand new characters that I had come up with, and I like I wanted to do something on my own. And so that's what Hex was, because tonally, it's different in the sense that, I mean, it's still dark, but there's also the chance of a happy ending. There's humor involved, whereas something when you do something, you know, love crafting, that really isn't part of it. So what we did is we just loved the characters. We said, let's do something new with them. And so that's pretty much how it came about. Mm-hmm. Now, this, the first one was a four-issue miniseries, as I remember correctly. Yes, yes. 
Now, you've got Lucifer, and of course, we're not talking about the devil in this particular book. No, no, no. Her name is Lucy Hennifer Inacio das Neves. Lucifer for short. It's interesting because what had happened, it was with issue number 11 of Fall of Cthulhu. I just started the Gray Man arc. And a lot of times what happens in comics is you need to have cover art to <laughs> solicit to previous magazines so they have something to put in the magazine months in advance. And with Fall of Cthulhu, there were a couple different directions that I wanted to go, and I wasn't quite sure what direction I wanted to hit at that point. And so they were asking me, well, we need cover ideas. And so I came up with this idea of a cover, which basically was just this young woman sitting on the floor of a jail cell, just scrawling symbols in a circle around her. Now, I mm-hmm. had no idea who she was, what her name was, nothing. It was just that image. And that image really stuck with me. And so I kept thinking to myself, okay, well, what's her story? What's happening? Why is she doing that? And that's when it all sort of started to come about. And when I realized that I wanted to have her be Brazilian, or at least basically her backstory is that she grew up in a Brazilian favela, I started to do research on Brazilian names. And I wish that I could find the site. I looked for it and I can't find it again. But there was a um, like a forum where they were talking about names. And apparently there were a couple of people that mentioned that they had female Brazilian friends that were nicknamed Lucifer because they had apparently like two first names, Lucy and Hennifer or Jennifer. I'm not sure if the, the J is pronounced in Portuguese. Uh, if it's pronounced like a J or an H, I don't know. So all you Portuguese speaking fans out there, please don't yell at me. I, <laughs> but anyway, so apparently there's actually real world evidence of people that would go by the name of Lucifer, or at least it was spelled that way. I don't know if it was pronounced differently or not, but I saw that. I'm like, that's it. That's the name. That's brilliant. I love that. And what I really enjoy about her being named Lucifer is that it really speaks to one of the themes of the series, the idea that it's what we do that defines us, not the superficial. It's like the audible gruntings that you and I use to identify an individual out of a crowd, that doesn't define whether they're a good person or a bad person or somewhere in between. It's what they do. It's, it's their actions that define them. And that, in a way, is what Lucifer is all about. She's trying to do good in the world. She's not always perfect about it, and she screws up some from time to time, like everyone But I think fundamentally she is a good person. She's trying to make the world better. And I like the idea of how she's fighting against that gut instinct that most people, when they hear her name, they're like, oh, really? Devil girl or whatever? And so (laughs) so I like that as a theme. I like that as an undercurrent. I know some people are uncomfortable with that. And some people will like, they only call her Lucy. Mm -hmm. But there's a specific reason that she wants to be called Lucifer because for her, the names come from her two grandmothers that died saving her life. So it's a little bit of a backstory. To be called one and not the others, to her, feels like a disservice, like an insult. And she's like, look, this is my name. If you have a problem with that, well, that's your shortcoming, not mine. You know, this is my name. I'm a good person. Deal with it. But anyway, so yeah, so that's how the name came about. Mm-hmm. And going from there just really informed who she was as a character and really helped me develop some of the themes that I try to explore in the series. So funny because in the Hispanic culture, you also have Jesus, right, which is right. spelled Jesus, you know, in, in, in English. And so it's a, to have Lucifer and Jesus in the same culture, that's kind of a funny thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And the thing is, like, I really wish that I could find that form again. I'm sure there's somebody out there that has amazing Google Foo and can find it. But yeah, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It's something that really exists. And I'm like, oh, that's just too cool to not use. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, now she has a mentor, by the the name of Val. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about her? Oh, I love Val. Val's the person that I wish that I was 
you know, incredibly successful, doesn't give two shakes of a rat's tail about anything. She's like, I'm on my path. This is what I'm doing. And she loves good scotch. And <laughs> and she's very, very smart. But again, she's that mother figure. But in a way, also Lucifer's boss. She has to you know, be the one to go, okay, Lucifer, there's this thing out there that may fall into the hands of bad people. You need to go get it. So even though this is something that, that I never really explain in the story, and I don't know if it's something that I ever will get to, but mm-hmm. in the original Fall of Cthulhu, there's a professor that commits suicide very early on. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind's eye, I have him sort of like an, you know, an ex-lover of Val's. And so that's mm-hmm. how Lucifer got on Val's radar. So mm-hmm. it's just little some things like that. But no, Val is just so much fun to write because she can be so snarky and mean in a way that she's very quick-witted. And when people upset her, she just is not afraid to insult them mm-hmm. <laughs> harshly. And something that obviously you don't do in real life because that's rude. But mm-hmm. it's fun to be able to sort of like scratch that itch sometimes through her character. Mm-hmm. Now, this is basically how the first miniseries came about. And there's been a gap of a couple years in between. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of fascinated because it, it seemed like it was still very popular with a lot of people. And it just took a little while to get back to getting that character. Now, is the second Hex, is that a miniseries also or is that like an ongoing? No, that's an ongoing. It's interesting. What happened is that when the first miniseries came out, like the people that read it really, really liked it. The problem is there just weren't enough people to be able to keep the series alive. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to make sure that we had the miniseries, we had it wrapped up. And so we thought, okay, look, we want to bring it back, but let's wait until Boom is in a position and I'm in a position to where we can really give this the full support that we feel the series deserves and it will get the exposure that we feel that it deserves. And so in the meantime, you know, Boom has leveled up. I've leveled up. I have more name recognition now. Boom is just creating all kinds of amazing stuff now. So our respective profiles have increased and improved. And so that's why now we got together and we thought, okay, now is the time we can really, we can launch this and we can really, really make it work. We can really make it work. So it was unfortunate that there was that gap there. But what what we didn't want to do is we didn't want to just throw it out there knowing that it would be very difficult for it to succeed. You know, we wanted to give it every chance to succeed and for as many people to read it and fall in love with it. So that's why we waited. Mm -hmm. Now, there's another character by the name of Madame Cymbeline. Yes. And why don't you tell people a little bit about her? (laughs) Madame Cymbeline doesn't talk. She, Mm. uh, She uses a puppet or a thrall. And there's a specific reason she does that. And, you know, in in the original miniseries, she's sort of like in the background. But in the new ongoing, she definitely takes a front row seat into the proceedings. And she is in charge of a very large corporation. So not only is she business savvy, but she is also very powerful in regards to the arcade. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, she would have to be considering that she speaks magically through <laughs> another human being. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and she is not one to be trifled with at all. But definitely her story and why she is that way, that is something that we're definitely exploring as the series goes on. Mm-hmm. Is she something of the main character in the second go around with Hex? Yeah, you know, she's definitely a major villain. In the new ongoing, we have the first two that are out already. And mm-hmm. what happens is, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone mm-hmm. who hasn't read it yet, but Lucifer accidentally releases someone by the name of Eve, who happens to be Madame Cymbeline's brother. Mm-hmm. And so Cymbeline and Eve have a 
contentious relationship, especially considering that Cymbeline was the one that had imprisoned Eve in the first place. So there's no love lost between the two siblings. So. Mm-hmm. Very cool. It's always interesting to me, and you know I talk about this in the past, about how great it is that you do all these female characters. Because, you know, comics tend to be guy-oriented so much of the time. And it's nice to see, I mean, this book, you've got three of the main characters and they're women. Yes. And that's just a wonderful thing because there's so many guy-oriented stories. And yet, I always get frustrated because women characters often tend to be a certain kind. They're maternal. They'll talk things out before they get into any kind of a a fight or anything. But your three women characters are very different from each other. And I just think that's a real accomplishment. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I can't explain why I like writing female characters. I just do. Keep in mind, I don't look at it like... Uh, you know, this is how you write a female character. Like, I don't get that. Like, you know, it's interesting because I've had people come up to me and say, I really like how you write female characters. And, you know, I don't know how to respond to that because mm-hmm. it's like, well, they're characters. You know, nobody comes up to me and says, I really like how you write demons and, and you know, and all these monsters. It's like, well, OK. So it, it, the way I look at it is that, I mean, they're all extensions of certain aspects of my own personality mm-hmm. and i'll try to channel that particular aspect of my personality and sort of like feed that into that character but yeah i don't try to write female characters i just try to write fun characters that are mm-hmm. fun to read you know mm-hmm. well a lot of women characters are more complex than men characters i mean you know we're men we have certain basic things that we like to do but on the other hand in the comic you can have a male character be a scoundrel they can be a scientist they can be, you know, they can do all kinds of different things where a lot of women characters are, are very limited in what they can do. And this is also true of television. Which yeah, really yeah. And that's something I think culturally that we're really, I mean, it's always been like that, but we're now thankfully getting to a point where as a culture, we're starting to address that. You know, there was just, uh, and I'm not picking on DC at all, but there just read something about uh, at Long Beach Comic Con. There was somebody selling a shirt that said, you know, it was, it was, it was training to be Batman's wife. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and it just, it's like, oh my gosh, how tone deaf are you? How do you not know that's offensive? But I think that we're all figuring that out. We're all like, okay, hey, you know, it's not cool. And, and so, at least for me, when I try to create characters and I have female protagonists and female villains and, you know, it's sort of like I'm not, you know, it's sort of there are things that all humans want and all humans need. And I'm one of those guys that like I don't buy into the like, well, men are like this and women are like that. I call shenanigans on that because <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know any woman who loves to shop for shoes as much as I do. <laughs> and, you know, and. <laughs> I don't like those culturally defined gender roles. That just bugs me. It just I, I don't know, you know. And not only that, it's like there are a lot of women in my family. My closest friends are all women, and mm-hmm. so to see to see that kind of stuff going on, it makes me uncomfortable. And I've got nieces that I want to be able to. Someday, you know, when they're older, obviously, you know, to be able to read my work and I don't want them to read my work and think, oh, great. Yay. This is, you know, this I want to grow up to be the hero's wife or the hero's girlfriend. And no, grow up to be the hero. That's what I want for them. And I think that culturally, we're really starting to really focus on that. And, you know, I think it's starting to improve. And we've got a long way to go. But at least in comics, we're having that dialogue now. Yeah, there's a lot of arguing and fighting over it, and, you know, it can get kind of ugly, but the fact that the dialogue is actually happening, I think, is at least a, a step in the right direction. So hopefully we'll get there someday. I think Joss Whedon said the best is, oh, I forget, there was an awesome interview, and he was talking about, you know, people asking him about writing female characters, and he's like, you know, it's like, 
he's going to keep doing it until they stop asking him about how he writes good female characters. You know? <laughs> like once that yeah. happens, then we won. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've always written women characters, I think, particularly well. And and, and and maybe it's just because you make them human rather than two-dimensional characters. And I think that's something I wish other people could learn, but we won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. Well, I guess I think that's just writing what I want. You want all your characters to be three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. You don't want anybody to just be there just to serve a very shallow purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to have even your villains. I, I, I See, I like making my villains sympathetic. I don't always do that that but i try to make them you know like what they're doing have a reason other than just i'm going to i'm going to kill everything you know no no no. what's the reason behind it and so i think that when you're able to do that with all your characters it makes it interesting because you know honestly like people fighting yeah it's it's okay it's fun or whatever like i like the character stuff because if you don't do the character stuff then all the fighting and the and the magic it's it's just noise on the page but if you really develop the characters, then all that stuff just has so much more meaning, and then it's really, really fun to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Now, another thing, too, that you do, I think, very well is when you do magical creatures and stuff like that, they're not these crazy sort of out-of-left-field kind of characters. There's rationale behind what they're doing, and they're, they're, there's things happening that make them as interesting as well, the men and the women, too. So I think that's something that oftentimes in, when, in magical or spiritual things, it's always that you get this the, the the woo-woo ray kind of thing comes in. Mm-hmm. The last last second, somebody comes in and says, "Oop, I need to be able to do this." Well, I can, you know, kind of right. Stuff. Yeah, I mean that's always a danger. The Deus Ex Machina, and you know, mm-hmm. and I'll confess, I've fallen into that trap once or twice in some of my stories. <laughs> but with magic, you have to be very careful because with magic, you can do anything you want. With anything mm-hmm. you want. The problem is, if you use magic to get yourself out of a tough spot, then the reader kind of feels like you're cheating. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think you can still do that and get away with it and make it work if you follow a set of rules and if you foreshadow those events happening. One of the things that in the original Hex miniseries, mm-hmm. at the end, basically an angel comes in and helps Lucifer. Now, I'm just saying that out loud just sounds like, mm-hmm. oh, really? Yeah, that's almost like a literal... Deus ex machina, God mm-hmm. that you think coming down to fix everything. But again, mm-hmm. that was foreshadowed because the very first thing that she does is she returns this guy's angel wings. And so this is his way of returning that favor. And so that was at least for, I hope that readers don't feel that was a cheat. So, but mm-hmm. you always have to, anytime you deal with anything of the fantastic, you really have to define the rules of the universe and the parameters. So that way the reader doesn't think you're cheating. Right, and I, I always like your writing and Jim Butcher's Dresden Files mm-hmm. stories are on that way, too. He won't pull something out of left field. He'll make something happen that he's hinted at, at least before. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is always a great thing, because there's just way too many times that I've seen people say, well, here, look at this. I've got this thing that I never said I had before, and now I'm going to be able to use it to solve the problem. Right, right. <sighs> I think that's the thing. It's okay to introduce things, like, out of left field if it's not being introduced to solve a problem. To create a problem, I think, is fine. If it creates Mm -hmm. a problem, I think that's okay. To solve a problem, no. For me, that's the fun, too, is sort of like going back and and seeing these little things, uh, especially this is why, you know, why I love working with incredible artists. They'll do things, they'll leave things in the art where you're just like, oh my gosh, I want to explore that more. Or, you know, there'll be a little something there. So that way, if you can use it later on, the reader can go back and say, oh, hey, this is there. That fits. It works. It all makes sense. 
I'll have to say Dan Mora's art is really good on Hex, too. I think he's a perfect fit for the story. He is, oh my gosh, it's so much fun. He's doing such a great job. It was one of those things where I was really worried because Emma Rios was the artist on the original miniseries, and she's just fantastic. But after the first miniseries wrap, she went on to become a rock star. She's amazing, which is fantastic. But... Mm -hmm. She's also really, really busy, and so we're very fortunate enough to have her doing the covers for the new mm-hmm. series, but we needed somebody to do the interiors, and so it's like, well, who are we going to get that's that level? And the editors found Dan, and he was just, he's just knocking it out of the park. It really mm-hmm. is like Christmas every morning. You know, it really is. Every time I open an email and there's art, it's just like, oh my gosh. It's crazy because I have art for books that haven't come out yet. So I've got all my, my laptop, desktop, and my iPad and iPhone, all these great pictures. Like most people have, you know, images of their um, <laughs> of their kids or their friends or mm-hmm. family or whatever. Like, nope, nope. I've got the harlot, you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, it's so well done. And Hex is going to be out before too long, it seems like. Yes, yes. I think that comes out in a couple of weeks. Okay, that'd be good. Now, the, your first story arc, how many issues is that going to be involving? Four. Four. So, four issues. Okay. Yeah, so basically we're doing four-issue story arcs. Mm-hmm. Okay, and after that, they'll release a trade, hopefully? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, that'll be good. That'll be great. So Hexed is a really good comic, and I really recommend it to people if you haven't read it, particularly if you kind of like supernatural things that make sense. <laughs> this is the book for you, I really think. So uh, now you've got another project going right about now. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm also doing Daymen with Matt Gagnon and Ryan Stelfreeze on art. And mm-hmm. it's supernatural as well, but it's not nearly as out there as what Hexed is. Daymen is about a... Uh, well, actually, the way I like to pitch it is it's a vampire story about a human. Okay. And, and, and so basically the idea is that there are these 50 vampire families in the world. Think of them like mafia families. Mm-hmm. And each family has to have a human to take care of their business during the day. And so this is the story of one of those day men as his family is about to go to war with another family. It's almost like a noir, mafia noir kind of story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not Twilight. It's not True Blood. It's, it's nothing like that. It's it's like The Godfather with vampires. Mm-hmm. And that book is gorgeous. Brian Stelfreeze is an industry legend, and he's just fantastic on this book. Just really wonderful. And so that's been a lot of fun as well. That's been a lot mm-hmm. of fun. It's, you get to scratch that itch of doing that sort of like more internal monologue noir kind of feel. Mm-hmm. But didn't that get optioned, I read someplace? Yeah, like a week after the first issue came out, it got optioned. So, wow. yeah, yeah, it's a really strong concept. The idea, it was created by Matt Gagnon, who's the editor-in-chief at Boom. And I'm very fortunate enough that he called me up and says, hey, I got this new series and I'm looking for somebody to help me, help me script it. You on board? And he pitched it to me. I'm like, yes, sign me up. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, it's a really strong idea. So, yeah, like a week after the first issue came up. I think it's Universal picked it up. So how does that happen? I mean, did somebody at Universal get a hold of the comic? Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah, well, I know there are people at Boom that have regular relationships with people in Hollywood, and they have friends that mm. work in Hollywood. And so there's always that thing of where somebody comes up and says, hey, what sort of like new comics do you have coming out? Like, oh, we've got this, this, and this. Anything interest you, you know, as far as doing uh, television and film? Because Boom Studios has, a, I think, a first-look deal with Fox. Mm. Uh, TV. So it's one of those things where they have a foot in television and film, Mm -hmm. the company. But that being said, and this is why I love Boom so much, is that they don't generate ideas and books. Somebody they try to sell them as TV and film. Mm -hmm. They're like, we're going to make good comics. That's what we're going to do. 
And as a bonus, if we can get some of them made into other mediums, fantastic. But comics is our core business model. So Mm -hmm. the thing I always felt is that every comic book is really a pitch for a story or a movie or a television show. Because not only are you telling the story, you're also showing the images that people can use to go and say, well, this is how you actually make this happen on the screen. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's funny because a lot of people will just use the comic to storyboard. Keep in mind, I don't know anything about making television shows or films, so I could be completely wrong in this. But basically what happens is they'll do storyboards where they basically have a comic saying, okay, in this scene, this is what, you know, we see this image, then this image. And so with a comic, it's already done for you. You already go and ready to shoot. So... So, so if, if Damon actually comes into one of the media productions, are you going to have anything to do with that? Or is this Matt Gagnon's property or how does this work? No, no, it's definitely Matt's property. I'm only involved with the comic aspect. Mm. I've had a couple other things that I've been involved with that have been optioned or whatever. I think like Malignant Man is a James mm. Wan's project and I scripted that comic, mm. but that's his idea. That's his baby. So once it gets outside of the comic world, I don't have anything to do with it because I know comics and I know how to write comics. They bring me in to sort of translate that idea into this medium. Occasionally, you know, help them break the story and develop it and things like that. But my job is make the comic the best comic it can be. I mean, if they want to pay me to do something on the TV or film end, by all means, I'm in. But they actually have professional Hollywood people that take care of that stuff, so... Well, that's too bad because I think you could do a good job with that. I really do. You brought up Malignant Man, which is another book I loved. Of course, look at how the long gap between Hex the First and Hex the Second. Any chance we might see Malignant Man come back? You know, I don't know. That was his idea, and so I wrote that for him. But I do know that that was optioned for a film as well. So I think that if that does come out as a film and it does well, then, yeah, there's probably a very strong possibility that a sequel could come out to that. So That's cool. Well, I'd love to see that. Of course, let's get back to Amen. I thought that concept makes such sense. I can't imagine why somebody hasn't thought of this before. Well, I think that so much of vampire stories focus on, I mean, I'm not going to say this doesn't focus on vampires, but it's not mm-hmm. about a vampire. I mean, the one analog that you could probably come up with right off the top of your head would be like Buffy. Mm-hmm. But with Buffy, Buffy is the vampire slayer. It's her against the vampires, where this is a guy who works for the vampires. Mm-hmm. And so you have vampires that are good guys. Mm-hmm. And you could say, well, that's the same thing with like True Blood. There are some good vampires there. But the idea there is that it's all about Suki and her relationship. It's that love story. Mm-hmm. And this isn't so much a love story. There's some romantic elements. It's the noir. It's the crime aspect of it. That's what we're really focusing on. That's one place to shop it is at uh, HBO because True Blood's over with now. Yeah. Well, hey, again, it's Matt's idea, so nothing affects me either way, but mm-hmm. I think it'd make a great film. I think it'd make a great show. There are fun characters in there, mm-hmm. and it's just a neat world to play in. Mm-hmm. Well, vampires have been Twilight and all those things. They've turned into romantic characters, and most vampires that I ever read about were never romantic characters. So for me, I liked what you guys are doing with Damon because there is some romance involved, but not nearly as much as, say, Twilight. Right. And they're trying to bring back, God help us. But they, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of vampire stories, I mean, think about, like, vampires are so analogous to sex. The idea of having to pierce a person's body. And I mean, there's so much imagery and metaphor in culturally. All the stories that we've seen have really played up that idea that it's a stand in for sex. Instead of doing that again, 
Mm-hmm. You know, we've got this really cool idea of basically the Renfield. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, what if Renfield were a superhero in the <laughs> world, you know? And so that's kind of what this is. Mm-hmm. And so it's fun to explore it from that way as opposed to, all right, how can we make this sexy and let's really build up that romantic tension and so mm-hmm. we strayed away from that and it's just about this guy trying to survive and find himself mm-hmm. in his quest for family and what that means yeah that's what makes it good <laughs> it's, it's so far away from anything that i've read in vampire stuff recently that i really like it when something different happens so i really like that now where is Damon now how many issues have you guys produced so far Damon, we are issue five is coming out i want to say at the end of this month Okay. And then issue six, it, the production schedule on this is a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's not a monthly. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things where the level of what we're trying to do is really involved. And so it's just taking a little longer to get it out. But it is coming out consistently, but it's not a monthly. It's not a monthly. But yeah, so we're, we're up to issue, the first arc just finished up. That'll be coming out in trade soon. And then uh, issue five hits the end of this month, and I think six will probably be first of the year. Ooh, wow, so that's good. Uh, do you guys have stories to go on for a while? Is this, is this going to be an ongoing for the foreseeable future? You know, I don't know. I know that it's definitely set up as an ongoing. That being said, we've got a very definitive end to this particular story arc. Mm. So what happens once we reach that end, where we'll go from there, I don't know. That's something that's several issues down the road yet. So and that's not a conversation they've had with me yet. So <laughs> okay, okay. Well, they're both great books. I really highly recommend. It. If you haven't been reading Damon, that is something different as far as the vampire mythology goes, and it's such a great book to read because there's some trouble between the humans involved with the vampires as well. So all this stuff, there's a lot of politics involved. There's a lot of interesting situations that we don't see in other vampire stories. So Damon is really one of those great books that if you're looking for something different in vampires, this is the book. Yeah, and it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. We actually just did a, uh, a pen and ink series where we took issues of one and two and we blew it up full art size. So you can really mm-hmm. see Brian's artwork in its full glory, full black mm-hmm. glory. It's just, it's amazing. Mm, very cool. Now, any other projects you're working on that we should be aware of at this point? People keep asking me that, and there's one project that is taking up a lot of my time, but I can't talk about it yet. Okay. I'm hoping I'll be able to before the end of the year. Okay. Um, but as of right now, I'm not allowed to. So hopefully okay. I'll have an announcement on that soon. It'll be worth the wait, I'm sure. So we don't have to worry about that. So that'll be good. Well, Michael, as always, wish you continued success with this stuff. And again, Damon and Hext are great books. And that mysterious project, we'll find out what it is. And we'll be on that one, too, because I enjoy the good stories you tell. So well, thank looking you. forward to that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. And I can't do that as Bruce Wayne, as a man. I'm flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but it's a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast, so you can keep reading your comics. Now at Majorspoilers.com. that's it for this episode. Be back next week when I'll have another great interview with another wonderful comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.